If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby. I like you just the way you are. You're braver than you believe, and stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. Parenting is a sacrifice, it's exhausting, it's expensive, at times it feels thankless, but eventually you die. Welcome to the Kid Doc Good Job Being the Mom podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping mothers and fathers through supporting, enabling, and empowering them in their amazing role as parents. In part two of Skin Visits, we talk about infections and trauma. Well, let's jump right in and get through all the infections and skin trauma we see in the office. Yeah, let's start with the common staph and strep infections of skin, folliculitis, cellulitis, and impetigo. These are all infections that usually arise from the body's own bacteria that are opportunistic and cause infections when given the opportunity. Right. You don't usually catch them from somebody else, but when the wrong circumstances arise from breaks in the skin, then the bacteria have a fiesta and cause infections. What is folliculitis? This is an infection of the hair follicles. So that name makes sense, folliculitis, hair follicles, and can occur most anywhere in the body. It usually shows up with a lot of individual small red dots that are the infection sites. What's the management for this? I recommend soap and water and just gentle scrubbing at least once daily, and that makes a huge difference. Topically, we use prescription mupirocin two to three times daily until resolved. And this prescription antibiotic is much more effective than neosporin. Yeah, you mentioned that neosporin is great for prevention, but not great for treating an infection, right? Right. And then I have parents call for any worsening, and I will add an oral antibiotic. How contagious is this? We talked about this being normal skin bacteria, but it it is now massively higher amounts at the site of infection. So it is easy to transmit to other people. It is contagious by contact until the infection is resolved, but the contagiousness really drops quickly with good treatment right at the first. Does hot tub folliculitis fit in this category as well? No, this is caused by a particular pseudomonas bacteria that thrives in hot water, but not in properly chlorinated hot tubs. So we see it when someone uses a hot tub that hasn't been treated with chemicals for a while. They had a little family where they went to grandma's um, cabin and grandma said, well, how was a hot tub? And he said, oh, it was great fun. I said, wow, I haven't put chemicals in there forever. And they all, they all got hot tub folliculitis. So, but this, this infection resolves quickly and is self-limited. It just needs symptom care for things like itching. Yeah. Then we have the fun impetigo with yellow crusted sores on the face. Yes, it is a little bit scary looking on faces. What is the management for impetigo? Same management as for folliculitis. I I should mention that with some staph infections, we can see resistant bacteria in people who have exposure to people in nursing homes and long-term hospital stays. So if we don't see improvement with mupirocin and first-line oral antibiotics, we may need to use different antibiotics that cover resistant staph bacteria. Well, maybe this is a good opportunity to mention antibiotic stewardship, that we shouldn't throw oral antibiotics at every infection unless they are truly needed, as this can contribute to antibiotic resistance. 
It's interesting. It takes me more time to explain why we don't need antibiotics than to just prescribe an antibiotic. I think some people feel a lot of satisfaction out of receiving something like an antibiotic as part of their visit. It is satisfying that they got something from their visit. It is hard to explain why it is not needed and using it may cause side effects of diarrhea and yeast infections and create antibiotic resistance. And there are some rare but dangerous reactions for some people that I have seen. With playing outside, kids get lots of cuts and scrapes that get infected and show up with cellulitis. So whenever we see that surrounding or spreading redness around cuts and scrapes, we are talking about cellulitis. Do you treat this any differently? I probably recommend a little more massaging of this infected skin to prevent the bacteria from walling themselves off like in Fortnite and forming abscesses. I recommend that a parent massage the affected area with a warm washcloth for 10 to 15 minutes, three times daily, and then use the topical antibiotic as prescribed. With each of these infections, when should parents call for more help? I would have them call if they have any new fever or increased tenderness or any spreading redness and any worsening. Let's cover the common antibiotic side effect of erythema multiforme. This common rash we will see with amoxicillin and other antibiotics, and it shows up about 8 to 12 days after starting antibiotic use, and it's called erythema multiforme minor to separate it from some of the more severe reactions like major form. And, and it's a benign rash that some people will say is an allergy because they were taking antibiotics, and so it must be an allergy. But this rash is more correctly called a serum sickness, so no treatment is necessary. It is pretty sun-sensitive, so if they're out in the sun a lot, it stays around for longer. And I tell people to call me if they have any worsening symptoms like a mouth rash or, or eye redness. This can kind of portend that it's a major version or something different. So um, they can still have the antibiotic in question in the future. And I guess while I'm thinking about this, the thought comes to mind to remind people to use a probiotic whenever taking an oral antibiotic to prevent diarrhea or yeast infections that will show up in about 30% of people taking antibiotics. So prevention for diarrhea and stuff like that is much better than trying to fix the problem. Yeah. Let's finish the bacterial skin infections before we move over to viral skin infections. A paronychia is cellulitis, but localized to nail beds. Yeah, it's interesting. The blood flow around the nail bed is particularly sluggish capillary blood flow and prone to cellulitis, like when tearing off a hangnail or any loose skin, and then an infection sets in, and that's called a paronychia, just a special name for that area. And I am really aggressive with the warm soak and massage part of managing this by doing this two to three times a day or more, even at the first sign of redness or irritation, and then move to medications if the symptoms worsen. Does a paronychia get confused with an ingrown nail? I think because the skin is really red and swollen, it can look like the nail is ingrown, and it may be. So I try to fix the redness and infection before sending this on to a podiatrist for evaluation and management. Let's move to the viral skin infections now. Roseola is a tough illness because it presents with fever only and sometimes a very high fever and no other symptoms. Yes, this is a tough one because I get the most worried about fevers without a reason because this might be strep or a bladder infection or something worse when you don't have an obvious reason for the fever. And with the beginning of roseola, all you have is a really high fever in a sick looking kid and you don't have the rash yet to clue you in on the reason for the fever. 
And then when the rash comes on after the fever goes away, then you know what caused the fever. Exactly. So it's a very characteristic rash that shows up on the face and torso and generally spares the arms and legs. And it starts when the fever breaks. So once the rash shows up, you know what you have. And it's caused by human herpes virus 6, and it's contagious until the rash resolves. How is this rash and disease different from fifth disease? So fifth disease is super interesting because it is named by a number. And we used to have a first and second disease, et cetera, that were measles and scarlet fever, respectively, but they got their own names. And then roseola, for example, was actually sixth disease. And fifth disease is more dangerous. Fifth disease is way more dangerous than roseola. It is caused by parvovirus B19. And the main concern is for exposure for pregnant women because of potential life-threatening effect on the developing fetus. There's also a concern for kids who have blood cell disorders, um, you know, that have sickle cell and stuff like that. So, but once the rash shows up on the cheeks and extremities, you're not contagious anymore. We don't see this rash on the torso like we do with roseola. There shouldn't be any treatment needs, but for any itchiness, sometimes we'll use a topical hydrocortisone a few times a day and Benadryl in appropriate doses. Well, next, let's talk about hand, foot, mouth disease. And so we talked about this with our summertime stuff, but this is the classic warm weather disease, and it is caused by a virus called Coxsackie A16. And like before, the interesting side note is this virus is in the same family and enterovirus genus as poliovirus. So when we talk about how common hand, foot, mouth disease is... Poliovirus was every bit as common as hand, foot, and mouth disease is now, but polio caused death and permanent disability. Definitely one of the successes of vaccinations. Yes, great example of the importance of vaccinating. What does the rash look like with hand, foot, and mouth? Well, the name describes it all. We get individual red bumps on the palms and soles of the hands and feet. They move quite um, away at the legs as well. Then we see little ulcers at the back of the throat. How long is it contagious and how do we care for the kids? Hand, foot, and mouth is contagious for a couple of weeks. And the goal of treatment is to control pain and fever. You can alternate Tylenol and ibuprofen every three hours for 48 hours and then as needed. I encourage fluids, whatever patient will drink, and use cool fluids, no carbonation, and nothing acidic. And the other common mouth virus is herpes virus causing cold sores. And everyone is exposed to herpes simplex virus, and everybody tests positive by about age 18, but not everybody gets cold sores. How many people get this as a small child and never know they had it? Really, so many of them. And, and it could be pretty bad for a little kiddo with their first infection causing sores all over the mouth that are really painful. And for the lucky few, it can return again and again as cold sores, usually when sick or tired. And this is tough to manage because medications only work when they can be given before the cold sores arise. Right. And then once the sores arise, then the disease is going to take its full course. And so because most kids cannot tell you they are feeling the sensation of paresthesia or that tingling pain before the sores arise, we can't prevent them. But we can use acyclovir if you can predict when the sores come out. Otherwise, we have to just treat symptoms when the sores arise. What is symptomatic care for the first bad presentation of mouth herpes? Really give any fluid the patient will drink, cold, no carbonation, Tylenol and Motrin, alternated every three hours for a few days. 
And then call for any concerns about dehydration. And we sometimes can hospitalize these guys if necessary for IV fluids. Okay, let's move to skin trauma items. Most common is probably insect bites. For some people, these are not a big deal. And for others, they get bad reactions. So people who get bad reactions to mosquito bites with excessive swelling will often say they are allergic to mosquito bites, but this is better termed a hypersensitivity to these bites. How do we help kids whose bodies overreact to insect bites? The trifecta for helping kids is a combination of Zyrtec and Benadryl and topical hydrocortisone. So Zyrtec or Cetirizine is one milliliter for every 10 pounds of body weight, every 24 hours for the next few days and a Benadryl, one milliliter for every five pounds of body weight every six hours to help with itch and redness, and then 1% hydrocortisone to affected area a few times a day to help with itch. Can parents do anything for prevention of the hypersensitivity? Well, besides the prevention for the bites with clothing coverage and using insect repellent, I suggest the option for doing Zyrtec every day during seasons when they are around lots of mosquitoes, like having soccer practice every day where they get bitten. So because this hypersensitivity reaction is due to histamine after the bites, having an antihistamine in your system ahead of time prevents the overreaction after the bite. When should parents call about mosquito bites? I recommend calling for any worsening and expanding redness as there may be a secondary infection. Lacerations are up next. One of the big questions parents have is, when should I come in and get stitches? So this is a tough one because it is difficult to make a judgment call based on a description from somebody, or even pictures can look worse based on how a photo is taken. But in general, I recommend getting stitches for any wound that is gaping open, and especially in a cosmetically important area like the face or an area that moves a lot like a knee. So what we're trying to accomplish is to help a wound heal together and not with a lot of scar tissue. And I am happy people text me on this for an opinion on what to do. Burns are also tough to evaluate and to know what to do with them. When should parents come in with burns? Another tough question. We really get so many common burns with sunburns and mild first degree burns with hot chocolate or something. But I think that any burn that rises to the degree of blistering, we ought to see because there is immediate help we can give as well as a prescription help for when the blisters rupture. What is the most common burn you see? So that's when we see kids touching the glass in front of a fireplace, like at grandma's house, and then they burn the palms of your little hands. Ouch. Yeah. What's your management for minor burns? That's similar to what most parents do, aloe or similar burn creams. Some have lidocaine in them, and that can be helpful. And what is often forgotten is using pain medication like Tylenol and ibuprofen. This is very important in the pain management. Burns just hurt a lot, and we need to help with the pain. Are there any burns that need to go to specialists? I do send the kind of blistering and more severe burns when they cross over joint spaces on hands and palms over to the burn specialist at the university, because improper management of these burns can lead to scarring that limits the use of hands and fingers where they actually get contractures. And so I I get them to the burn clinic for those. Last is slivers or other foreign bodies. And I don't manage a lot of slivers. You know, these are usually self-limited and come out on their own if they don't get infected. I am happy to see any of these and some are worth removing but I don't like to do any cutting that opens the skin more than than it already is and increase the chance for infection. 
And then other possible foreign bodies in the skin, like glass pieces, we will x-ray to see if something is in there that shows up on the x-ray. And some of these need to go to surgery if they need management because sedation in an operating room may be necessary for really deep foreign bodies. Well, this wraps up our episode on skin infection and trauma. Next will be our episode reviewing baby skin. Thanks, Yep, fun baby skin. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to getting together again next time. Kid Doc is available wherever you find your other favorite podcast. If you enjoyed what we shared with you today, be sure to like us and subscribe to help other listeners like you find us. On our website, we will add supporting materials and other helpful items from this and other podcasts. The opinions expressed in this podcast, while carefully considered, are ultimately the opinions of the presenters and not necessarily of our employers or of any other organizations with which we are affiliated. And remember, the content of this podcast shouldn't be seen as a substitute for seeking actual personal medical care. If this is an emergency, hang up and dial 911. Otherwise, schedule a visit with a caring doctor to help with your concerns.